0: Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 43, To the Strongest Alexander the Great did his vast empire no favours whatsoever with his last words, if they really were his words. When you say you're leaving your empire to the strongest, there is obviously going to be a bit of debate over who that is. There were so many who thought that they were the strongest that the empire split into fragments. It took 40 years to resolve, but in the end three kingdoms emerged. These kingdoms would survive, run by three different dynasties, until the Romans conquered all of them. So in order to follow these events without getting too confused, let's introduce the various men who thought that they were the strongest. Together these men are known as the Diadochi, which means the successors. Okay, here we go. Back in Greece was Philip II's general Antipater, who had kept Greece under control while Alexander was in the east. He stayed in Greece, but he sent his son Cassander to Babylon to take part in the discussions about what would happen next. At the same time, the general Craterus, another of Alexander's leading commanders, was leading some Macedonian troops back to Macedon. Perdiccas, the commander of the cavalry, had been the one who had heard Alexander's last words, or made them up. With him were some of his commanders, including a colonel called Seleucus. Also in Babylon for the discussions was the general and close friend of Alexander, Ptolemy, the dead king's bodyguard, Python, and the admiral, Nearchus. Out in the provinces, there were three more military commanders who had been close to Alexander. Antigonus, the one-eyed, was satrap of Greater Phrygia. Lysimachus was governor of Thrace, and Leonartus, one of Alexander's closest friends, was satrap of Hellespontine Phrygia. Okay, so we have eleven men. Antipater, Cassander, Craterus, Perdiccas, Seleucus, Ptolemy, Python, Nearchus, Antigonus, Lysimachus and Leonartus, probably all thought of themselves as the strongest. Three of them would end up founding the dynasties which ruled much of Alexander's empire for over a century which three do you think were the eventual successful successors it wasn't immediately clear that any of them would be those present in babylon had some heated discussions over the succession alexander had a half-brother called philip aridius and his widow roxanne was pregnant the child might be a son in which case he should be the heir some of the generals objected to both of these philip it seemed was a bit dim and not thought to be capable of ruling properly Alexander's child, even if it did turn out to be a son, would not be a pure-bred Macedonian, as his mother was a Sogdian, so he wasn't thought suitable by some. After much discussion, a solution was agreed. Philip Aridius would become Philip III, and would be joint king with Alexander's child, if the child was a boy. Perdiccas would act as regent for both kings until the boy, if indeed it was a boy, was old enough to rule. The empire was divided into satraps for the generals to rule. Ptolemy was given Egypt and Libya, Python was given Medea, and Antigonus received Pamphylia and Lycia to add to what he already governed. A few other satraps were also appointed. Alexander's child was born in August, and was indeed a boy. He became King Alexander IV. A peaceful solution to the succession had been found, and the year 323 BC ended calmly. In 322, the inevitable fighting started. The wars of the Diadochi would last for another 41 years. Back in Athens, our old friend Demosthenes tried one more time to provoke the Athenians into revolution. He had briefly been exiled but returned for a last throw of the dice. Antipater and his generals put down the revolt. Antipater finally ran out of patience with the old Athenian and condemned him to death. The last of the great Athenian speakers escaped to an island where he killed himself before Antipater's men had the chance to do it for him. In the brief war which was fought to put down the revolt, Leonartus led 20,000 Macedonians against Athens. The war was successful, as we know, but Leonatus was killed in the fighting. So, Leonartus didn't found a dynasty. It was Perdiccas who seemed to be the most likely of the Diadochi to gain supreme power. Alexander's mother, Olympias, offered him her daughter and Alexander's sister, Cleopatra, as his wife. This would have made him very powerful, maybe too powerful. It certainly seemed to Antipater that Perdiccas would be too powerful and he found an excuse for starting a war. Craterus and Antigonus supported him, but they really needed another ally. And they found one. Perdiccas had ordered the body of the dead king to be transported back to Macedon for burial. Someone else, though, had other ideas. Probably the cleverest of Alexander's generals, this man persuaded the men escorting the body that Alexander had wanted to be buried somewhere else. In fact, he had wanted to be buried in the temple of his heavenly father, Amon. The temple was, of course, in the great city founded at the mouth of the Nile, Alexandria, in Egypt. Ptolemy smiled to himself. He had picked the easiest satrap to defend, and now he had Alexander's body he was in a very good position. Deciding that getting rid of Perdiccas was a great idea, he joined Antipater and the others. The war that followed was called the First Diadoch War. Perdiccas, thinking the best form of defence was attack, decided to invade Egypt and was joined by Python and Seleucus. Twice he tried to cross the Nile, but he was beaten back by Ptolemy's forces. He tried a third time, but many of his men were swept away by the raging river. Realising they had no hope and their commander was not going to win this civil war, Seleucus and Python murdered Perdiccas. So Perdiccas didn't found a dynasty. Craterus was also killed in the fighting during the First Diodoc War. So Craterus also didn't found a dynasty. The real winners of the First Diodoc War were Antipater, Antigonus and Seleucus. Antipater became regent for the Dim King and the Baby King, Antigonus added more territory to his satrap, and Seleucus became satrap of the rich land of Babylonia. Antipater was already 80 years old, and his regency didn't last long. In the following year, 319 BC, he died in Athens. He was replaced by an army officer called Polyperchon. Antipater's son, Cassander, was furious. He had expected to be handed the regency when his father died. Like Ptolemy, he had been educated with Alexander by Aristotle. He wrote to his old friend in Egypt and they formed an alliance. Ptolemy took the opportunity to grab land in Syria. Antigonus joined them and they waged war on Polyperchon. This was known as the Second Diadoch War. Antigonus defeated Polyperchon's navy and Cassander took Athens. He was recognised as regent for Dim King Philip in 317. Polyperchon wasn't going down with a fight without a fight though and was still regent for the young Alexander IV. An invading army captured Philip Aridius while Cassander was in the Peloponnese and immediately executed him. Polyperchon was never going to be any match for the alliance of Cassander, Ptolemy and Antigonus though. He was defeated. Cassander had Alexander the Great's mother, who had been on Polyperchon's side, executed. Roxanne and the young Alexander were captured. Cassander was now regent. Polyperchon fled to the Peloponnese. In the aftermath of the Second Diadoch War, Antigonus took the opportunity to grab most of Asia. He defeated one satrap called Eumenes and then turned on the others. Python was lured to Medea and executed. Seleucus, fearing he might be next, fled to Egypt to be protected by Ptolemy. So Python didn't found the dynasty. Antigonus the One-Eyed was now the most powerful of the Diadochi. He had nearly all of the Asian part of Alexander's empire under his control. This alarmed Ptolemy. The clever, sneaky general was happy with his part of the empire and was not really interested in trying to capture all of the rest. He knew that Egypt and the surrounding territory was relatively easy to defend, but he also knew that even he wouldn't be able to keep out the entire forces of Asia. Quickly, the cunning general allied himself with Cassander in Greece and Lysimachus in Thrace. They sent a note to Antigonus telling him that he needed to give up his conquests. He refused and so started the Third Diadoch War. Antigonus took his chance to make the first move. He invaded Syria to secure access to the sea and laid siege to Tyre, which was supported by Ptolemy. The city held out for almost a year and three months Ptolemy sent Seleucus to invade Crete and secure Miletus. This gave him access to the Aegean Sea. Antigonus turned on Cassander and demanded that he explain what had happened to Alexander's mother Olympias, his widow Roxanne and little Alexander the Fourth. This would have been a bit tricky for Cassander, as he already executed Olympias. Antigonus allied himself to Polyperchon, who was still controlled part of the Peloponnese, and then created a federation of the island states in the aegean sea called the Neositic league which he could use when he attacked cassander in greece there were a couple of indecisive battles lysimachus stopped antigonus entering macedon through his lands ptolemy tried to invade syria but was beaten back by antigonus's son demetrius one of demetrius's advisers at the battle was nearchus it seems that nearchus had given up his ambitions because after this battle he slips away into history and nothing more is heard about him. So, Nearchus didn't found the dynasty. Then, Antigonus the One-Eyed made the greatest mistake of his life. Seleucus, the former satrap of Babylonia, was intent on getting his lands back. While Antigonus was occupied elsewhere, Seleucus took his units and instead of marching on Egypt, crossed the desert and advanced to Babylon where he was again made satrap on the 1st of June 311. This man would turn out to be Antigonus's most deadly opponent. It was clear that Antigonus and Demetrius could not quickly defeat Ptolemy, Lysimachus and Cassander. The Third Diadoch War was not very decisive. A peace treaty was concluded in December 311 BC, which changed nothing much at all, except that many Greek cities were declared to be free. Cassander, though, kept garrisons in most of them, so it wasn't a very free type of freedom. It was agreed that the boy-king Alexander, son of Alexander the Great and Roxanne, would become sole ruler of the entire empire when he came of age in 305 BC. The uneasy peace lasted four years. During this time, Cassander had the unfortunate Alexander IV and his mother murdered. Antigonus turned on Seleucus. He sent a couple of his satraps down to invade Babylon, but Seleucus defeated them. Demetrius turned up and partially took the city, forcing Seleucus to flee to the hills. But the younger man was clever and determined. He always managed to keep some men in Babylon, and the city never completely fell, even when Antigonus himself turned up. Finally, the armies of Antigonus and Seleucus met in a big battle. Crafty Seleucus ordered his men to have their breakfast in the middle of the night, they attacked at dawn while Antigonus' army was tired and hungry. Antigonus lost the battle and retreated to Syria. The two men agreed a peace treaty. This was just as well for Antigonus because Ptolemy had been active in the west. He had captured Crete and then infiltrated the Neositic League so that it became a supporter of the ruler of Egypt, not of Antigonus. Antigonus was forced to concentrate on the west. While his back was turned, Seleucus captured Bactria and invaded India. Antigonus, despite these defeats, was by no means done. He forced Ptolemy out of southern Greece and sent Demetrius over to take Athens. Demetrius was brave and popular, but he was seen by the Athenians as a liberator. All of Cassander's men were kicked out. The Athenian navy was rebuilt and fought for Antigonus. Athens was given back democracy, as long as it continued to support Antigonus, of course. Demetrius was then sent to Cyprus... Ptolemy's brother, Menelaus, was defending the island. He was losing the war and sent for reinforcements. Ptolemy arrived. Demetrius found himself heavily outnumbered. He had some 15,000 men, whereas Menelaus and Ptolemy together had 27,000. However, in a naval battle off Salamis, he crushed Ptolemy's fleet before it could contact Menelaus's navy. His victory was total. Ptolemy did not even have time to gather his men when he made his escape to Egypt. The island was lost. Antigonus was back where he wanted to be. He was again the most powerful of the Diadochi. He then took the step that none of them had yet taken. In his new capital, which of course he named after himself, he was proclaimed king. Very soon the others followed suit. Lysimachus became king of Thrace, Seleucus became king of Babylon, and Ptolemy was the new pharaoh of Egypt. It was 306 BC. Pharaoh Ptolemy had lost his navy and was virtually defenceless, so Antigonus sent a massive fleet with thousands of soldiers to Egypt. Lucky old Ptolemy was saved by the weather. The winds and rain were so bad that Demetrius couldn't land with his men. Soon the food started to run out and the navy returned to Syria. Antigonus decided that tacking Cassander in Greece would be easier than invading Egypt, so he sent Demetrius to lay siege to Rhodes. He wanted to capture the island so he could use its large navy in the war with Cassander. Rhodes was independent, but Lysimachus and Cassander sent troops to defend the island fortress. It was never actually taken, but it was battered enough to help Antigonus and Demetrius. Over the next few years, Cassander and Demetrius fought in Greece. Demetrius took most of the Peloponnese, where he persuaded the cities they could be independent, but must supply him with soldiers. He advanced into Thessaly and fought Cassander there. Cassander begged Ptolemy, Lysimachus and Seleucus for help. Help arrived. Lysimachus invaded Antigonus' territory, taking some large cities. This was a bit of a surprise, as he was by far the weakest of the remaining Diadochi. Antigonus expected an easy victory, but he was to be very disappointed. As he was contemplating finishing Lysimachus off, Seleucus arrived, The eastern king had spent the last few years wisely capturing all of the eastern satraps and building up a powerful army. The armies of Seleucus and Lysimachus won a great victory at the Battle of Ipsus. Demetrius escaped, but his father was killed by raining arrows. The fourth Diadoch war was over, and Antigonus the One-Eyed was dead. The kingdom was divided between Lysimachus and Seleucus, although crafty Ptolemy arrived and snatched some of Syria from under their noses. Seleucus, showing himself to be a strong leader, solidified his rule, founding two great cities, which he called Seleucia and Antioch. Demetrius escaped to the Peloponnese and continued to hold on to territory there. Cassander, son of Antipater, died of natural causes in 298 BC, leaving Greece to be fought over by two of his brothers. Demetrius and Lysimachus were also interested in taking over. Demetrius took Athens in 295 BC and before too long had been proclaimed king of Macedon by the Macedonian army. He conquered the rest of Greece, except Sparta of course. He lost all his territory in Western Asia to Seleucus and Lysimachus, but he wasn't too bothered. He was king of Macedon. So Cassander, and therefore Antipater, didn't found dynasties. Cassander did though found a new capital which was destined to be a very important city for many years to come. It was called Thessalonica. Demetrius didn't last long as king of Macedon. His kingdom, although small in size, was very powerful with an excellent navy. Lysimachus, Ptolemy and Seleucus were wary of him and planned to gang up against him, but in the end they didn't need to. In 288 BC Macedonia revolted. Demetrius installed his son, Antigonus II, Gonatus, as governor of Greece and set off on a desperate gamble. He decided that if he defeated Seleucus, he'd have more chance of getting Macedonia back. Unfortunately, after a few successes, his soldiers deserted him and he surrendered. Seleucus treated him kindly, but his spirit was broken, and by 283 BC, the brave warrior king had drunk himself to death. Lysimachus took Macedonia and Thessaly after a short war with King Pyrrhus of Epirus. Ptolemy, by now an old man retired from being pharaoh of Egypt in 285. He had two sons, Ptolemy Caronus and Ptolemy Philadelphus. Ptolemy Caronus was supposed to succeed him, but at the last minute he chose Ptolemy Philadelphus. Ptolemy Caronus fled to the court of Seleucus, who promised to help him get his throne back. Ptolemy himself died in January 282 BC, aged 84. The descendants of the clever old general, would continue to rule Egypt until Augustus Caesar defeated Cleopatra VII and Mark Antony 250 years later. So Ptolemy did found the dynasty. Seleucus was now the most powerful of the Diadochi. He had befriended Ptolemy Caronus, who he intended to place on the throne of Egypt, and he needed an excuse to attack Lysimachus and get his hands on Macedonia. He found one when the wife of one of Lysimachus's sons came asking for help. Seleucus invaded Lysimachus's territory and soon the two armies met in battle. Lysimachus was 80 years old and Seleucus was 77. Despite their ages, both took to the field and fought. By the end of the day, Lysimachus was dead. Seleucus was about to march west and add Macedonia to his kingdom when he was assassinated by Ptolemy Choraunus. Nobody is quite sure why. Seleucus was too smart to leave anything to chance and there was a successor already in place. He was succeeded by his son Antiochus. The Seleucid dynasty continued to rule over a kingdom in the east until the last part of it was taken by the Roman general Pompey the Great in 63 BC. So Seleucus did found the dynasty. Ptolemy Charaunas took over the territory of Lysimachus and became king of Macedon and Thrace. He didn't last long. Macedon and Thrace were invaded by a tribe called the Galatians. In 279 BC, Ptolemy Caronus fought a battle with the Galatians and lost. He was captured and had his head removed. So Lysimachus did not found the dynasty. We've seen what happened to all of the Diadochi. We have seen eight of them fail to found dynasties which lasted into the future, and two of them found long-lasting dynasties. So, who have we missed? Who was the third dynasty founder? Well, Antigonus Gonatas was still in southern Greece. When another tribe decided to invade Macedon and Greece, they were very successful and made it down as far as Thermopylae, that impassable pass. They succeeded in making it into southern Greece but were turned back by bad weather. Antigonus took the glory for this, even though he hadn't done anything, but he later defeated them in battle in Thrace. In fact, he inflicted a resounding defeat on them, and it made him immensely popular with the Macedonian people. This victory was enough to see him offered the throne of Macedon in 277 BC. Antigonus, son of Demetrius, and grandson of Antigonus the One-Eyed, was king of Macedon for nearly 40 years. Their descendants would rule Macedon and most of Greece until they were ousted by the Romans, who defeated them at the Battle of Pydna in 168 BC. So, Antigonus the One-Eyed, founded a dynasty. The Ptolemies, the Seleucids and the Antigonids each ruled over their kingdoms until they were thrown out by the Romans. There would be wars between them but their separate kingdoms remained free. We will leave the Ptolemies and the Seleucids now as this is a history of Greece. In our last few chapters we will concentrate on Greece and Macedonia and see what happened there in the years before those pesky Romans arrived. Next week we will see the Greeks fighting amongst themselves yet again. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.